Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next to this monthly Q&A, we answer questions about heart rate data, pacing charts, and nagging injuries. And after that, World of Running updates about marathoners' favorite workouts, Russia's ban, and more. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us for our favorite episode of the month where we answer your questions about everything. And if you would like to submit questions for the end of month episode, all you have to do is go to a to z running.com slash question. Send us a message and share your thoughts and we'll answer them on air at the end of the month. Also, we like to interact with you in less formal means as well. And so the comments and the the comments on the social medias and the interactions randomly in person with people who are like saying yeah a to z or things like that as we're running those are all fun stuff and it's been really fun too to connect this past week personally i got to connect with whitney of the mother runners and it was very timely because i was actually just on her podcast the passionate runner and we had the opportunity to discuss injury and overcoming challenges and um, so that was really cool that we got to meet in person right after we had that conversation air on her podcast. We've been friends on social media for a long time, actual real f- friends, Zach. And uh, we actually had Zoomed a few possible. times and, and we messaged back and forth, but just share a lot in common, as many runners do, because we have similar challenges come up in situations with our running and injury and how that intersects with life. So... Thank you, Whitney of the Mother Runners. And in the episode show notes, I will, or not show notes, but the blog post, I will link to that episode with Whitney. All right. Well, speaking of interacting with the shared challenges that we all tend to have, many of us are gearing up for some racing coming soon. Racing mm-hmm. season is more or less upon us, at least in the few we- next few weeks it will be. And that's exciting. That's lots of fun. Um, now, if you haven't yet settled on your racing schedule or the things that you're going to try to do in total, uh, keep in mind that Rivertown Races is on April 22, 5K, 10K, half marathon, all available. They got a kids race as well the day before. And we have a discount code for you when you register. So go to rivertownraces.com and then register using code A to Z 10 to get 10% off your race registration and stop waiting. If you're planning <laughs> on running that race, register now so that the good folks at Rivertown Races can in fact have the correct number amount of materials <laughs> and things that they need for all the stuff. So do that. Do, do that, that now. Definitely. And then we'll see you there. Yeah, we're gonna we'll be see there. you there. And speaking of, I did want to mention, I also got to meet Gina Rouse, and she's an exceptional runner. She's qualified for Olympic trials a few times, and she's a fabulous person as well. So I got to meet her in Knoxville, too. And she's so, also running Rivertown Race. No, she's not. Oh, she's not. I thought but that's that would, why you were saying that'd that. That'd be super fun. That'd oh. be super fun. Um, but yeah, we love to meet you. So this is an opportunity for us to meet some of you as well, and we like to be able to connect in real life. Yeah, we're going to be there. We're going to have a, a kind of like a booth around the finish area at Rivertown Races so that we can have lots of fun interactions with all of you and uh, look forward to that time and experience. Speaking of fun interactions with all of you, now is a good time to get started on some of your questions. Well, being the last month of the episode, 
the last episode of the month. If I say <laughs> these words in the correct order, they sound more logical. And we're going to then use this time to answer listener questions. And we wanted to uh, plug a couple of things because we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions with Rivertown Races' Andrew Buikma as well. And it was really a lot of fun to have the kind of the live interaction dynamic. Uh, I think that much more valuable to those who are there asking questions. However, not all of you were present to your great shame and dismay. <laughs> and so we're going to bring a couple of those questions here because they were very interesting ones that I'm sure um, you'll love to hear Zach mm -hmm. rant about. The first moment. one, though, came through Instagram and um, to a listener that is very interactive on our social media. So thank you, Douglas from Pennsylvania, for your question. And he wrote, I'm 46 and a runner. How many weeks does it take to reach optimal fitness for a mile race? Mm. No, I run four days a week, 20 miles total. And he's been running for over 25 years. Wow. Nice work on that. So do the math. 46. He's been running for 25 years. So you started running around the age of 20. Very nicely done. Yeah. He said over 25 years, so I'm doing a little extra math. All right. Well, that's that's really cool, Douglas, and appreciate the question. Not every day we get to talk about mile races and mm. how to prepare for those, simply because most of us don't really do things like that all yeah. the time. Yeah. I actually was talking to Whitney the, from the Mother Runners on our run in Knoxville about running a mile race as an adult and how that can be a lot of fun. And also many adults haven't had the opportunity to run a mile. Mm. So this is a more unique request to learn more about mile training and what it takes. So Zach, how many weeks? Well, okay, so there's two things that we have to think about here. The assumption, based on your question, Douglas, is that this is your target race of the given training season. Um, because if it's not, then it looks differently. And most of us who run a mile race as adults do so as like a tag along to other things that we have going on. Um, and so the way I would answer the question depends largely on that dynamic. So assuming, Douglas, this is your focus for the training season, then the answer is, 16. All right. Next question. No, I'm <laughs> um, so it, it is actually 16 or thereabouts. And this is where it, every question has nuance. I'm assuming that you are coming to the beginning of that training season, uh, that buildup with a baseline of training already happening. You've said that you are running already and always have been running for like 25 years. So, um, assuming that then you don't need to spend much time building up in terms of uh, getting into your running season. However, the first thing I'm going to mention is that being a mile race, I am still going to encourage you to spend a fair chunk of time, two to three months of aerobic conditioning work. A mile race is still aerobic in nature. Uh, fundamentally, your aerobic system is the key to a successful mile experience, much as it is for any kind of running short of sprinting. Um, and so as such, I still feel that it is very important, and this is where we would, if we want to like go into the liter literature and start talking about why did Arthur Lydiard have his 800 meter runners, his half milers, doing marathon conditioning with his marathoners for two to three months out of the year? And um, well, the answer is quite simple because that aerobic capacity is what establishes the baseline for your anaerobic potential. And so a mile race is an anaerobic race when you're actually running it, but it's an aerobic venture to be successful in it. Mm -hmm. So th that being the case, you need a decent chunk of time to establish the good aerobic condition and running 20 miles a week, four days a week um, might not necessarily be enough to do that. It, I'm not saying that it's an absolute, but 
um, I would encourage a little bit more volume for the conditioning phase of things, which means you might need some more time to build up to it to make sure that you're not just jumping right into it. So uh, if you spend two to four weeks building things up until you're at kind of a comfortable total volume and then you do some conditioning work for about eight weeks, maybe up to 12 weeks, depending on how much time you've done things like that in the past, recent past, um, then what you need for a mile is you need a solid six to eight weeks of what would be considered mile-specific strength training. You could call it speed training as well, but that's not technically the correct word. You are doing both. You're doing speed and strength conditioning here. And so what you're doing during that phase then is now you're, you're targeting workout types that are going to identify specifically what you need to compete well in a mile. And I guess I can go into that very briefly. You didn't actually ask that here, and I'm not sure if that was something that you wanted me to go into. But how I would go about that is I'd be spending um, – three to four days a week. And so you're running only four days a week. You might end up with doing this two or three days a week because we still need one or two long, easy runs in there to keep your aerobic condition going. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it will fade, but you're going to be doing now a lot of short, quick stuff on Hills as well as on flat ground, as well as, um, some sustained hard efforts like two mile up to 5k time trial type of stuff near race effort. Um, and then it'll be doing some shorter ones too, as you get closer to the race in the best way to prepare for any race that's shorter than like long distance stuff is by doing every week, one or two near race efforts of some shorter and some longer than your goal race. And so for a mile, you're going to do some, maybe some 800 or 1200 meter time trial types of efforts. Um, those don't take a lot out of you because they're so short. And so you might do that the day after you do like a hill workout or maybe the day before, actually, I would do the hills the day after the time trials, but, um, that's what you need in terms of being successful at shorter distances for optimizing preparation, which means six to eight weeks there, another week or two before the race to sharpen, fine tune things. Um, so you're looking at about 16 weeks, depending on how much time you spend in each of those Mm -hmm. areas. Another thing that you're going to need is everything to be firing correctly in order to do this. Um, so you're going to want to do drills and you might already be doing them in your other kinds of training, but it's imperative when you're going to start working on something shorter and quicker to be doing those to stimulate your near muscular work. And, and that will help you run better. It will help you activate, and then it will help you run and take all that fitness that you have and you'll run faster because of it. It's actually kind of a big piece of that puzzle. Although you don't really need, uh, I guess it's, it's kind of the part that comes quickly. So, um, it's not something that like is building up over time, but it does help you during your training too to do well during your training. So I would say if you're going to have this as your goal to begin doing that right away, even when you're doing building and conditioning, if this is your main goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the combination of some heavy strength work as as well as some highly precise uh, activation and quickness drills um, make the whole rest of it go much better. Mm-hmm. Too. And then race day, especially. Mm-hmm. And remember, too, uh, for preventing injury, that we're going to continue to do leg strength and mobility. All those things are really important when we're going to be uh, kind of testing ourselves in new ways, new stimulus to be added as well. So thank you for the question, Douglas. Chances are you have a good head on your shoulders about what to do as well yourself. And so 
Now we're very curious if you agree or disagree with any of our thoughts. <laughs> yeah, because I think you're a coach as well. Continue <laughs> the conversation wherever that interaction took place. And if it's on social media, I'm sure Andy will make yeah. it known to me because otherwise I don't know how to find things there. Sure, I will. So I'll keep you in the loop. Thank you, Douglas. Appreciate the the. It's been a while since we've been able to talk about a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should mention, uh, not not to uh, to too loudly toot our own horns, but we have coached many adult runners to mile PRs numerous times mm-hmm. and uh, it's so find fun. it to be tons of fun. That, <laughs> so much the fun. moral of the story is it's a blast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thanks for that. Let's get on to Lorenda from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Lorenda reached out to us uh, for some training specific considerations. And then a follow-up question came up, which is not altogether that unfamiliar for many of you as we've talked about things like effort focused training and such, but it's very specific question, which is helpful because we get an idea for, Um, what this experience looks like when you're actually trying to do it. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about the context here is um, when you're building up, just trying to grow your baseline, that you should do that at very easy efforts, jogging efforts, and you should basically spend as much time as you need to to be comfortable at each step in the progression. So if it takes a week or two without building anything before I feel like that was a comfortable week of training, not just wearing me out, that's what it takes to then move on to the next week or increase to the next week. So that's kind of the nature of the situation Lorenda's in as she's asking this question. And so she writes to us. Um, I hope it's uh, I hope it's okay to ask a question. Yes, it's okay to ask a question, Lorenda. Uh, she says today was one of my training plan uh, was day one of my training plan that I'm doing for this next race she's training for. Wanted to send some heart rate data and. Um, and get a sense for, is this a gentle jog based on the heart rate data? So that by itself is, is a great way to like, here's some information. Here's what I'm supposed to be doing. Do these align? I love that type of question. Um, so first typical running pace, she writes, if I wasn't training would be between 945 and 1115 per mile, which is a wide range. So now you're talking about, this is my typical running pace, but clearly 945 and 1115 are not the same effort. A minute and a half per mile, generally. Well, it could be the same effort depending on the day and the variables. Uh, it could be. Yeah. In my life, there can be theoretically quite a range. it can be. Um, but if you're talking one to one, like yesterday and today, not different, you know, moments and significant moments in training, those are likely degrees of effort different to some amount. So, if that's the case, she said, I tried this run, this jog at 13:30 pace, which felt weird because she was deliberately slowing herself down so much. However, heart rate data still uh, was creeping into zone three, which if I know my heart rate numbers here, zone three is when you're like upper aerobic. No, no, no. That's zone four. Zone three is like mid aerobic. Okay. So <laughs> I got to run. I don't work with heart r- zones You did very for much. a long time. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm kind of joking. Um, so it was teetering between zone two and three for the last 15 minutes, but was kind of like close to zone three for a lot of the run. Um, and... Just curious then if this is a gentle jog or if I should slow it down more. Now, the first answer to the question at face value is if your heart rate data says zone three, if your heart rate data say zone three, then um, then that's not a jog. There's just no way, right? Because zone three is like mid aerobic based off of heart rate reserve and max heart rate potential. So if that's true and that's the only point of reference and it's perfectly accurate, then immediately we would say, well, you should be slowing down more. But then she s- said she's running 1330 pace and doing that. And I can tell you right now, someone who runs what Lorenda runs, 1330 pace cannot be 
in the aerobic zone for her in terms of degree of effort. There's just no way based on what she's already shared with us and what she's already doing. So I see those two numbers and I say, something's not jiving. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets more interesting. So the first thing is we have to remember that heart rate data are, um, are highly variable. Yes. And I've had, I, we, I wasn't part of this conversation on email, but I can tell you, I have had an Apple watch and my Apple watch heart rate data was not accurate. Yeah. Those, those devices are just super inconsistent and not, not necessarily like they, they have some reliability in certain things. And some people, it is more accurate right. than other people. So maybe it's like the size of wrist or I don't know. There's a I'm lot not really of things. Sure. Yep, skin a lot temperature. Of things. Well, even, even things like, um, like if you are low blood, low blood pressure or high blood pressure, then it reads better and worse and things like that. So, the, but the case can be made that maybe the tech is off. Um, the fundamental reality here is I'm just not worried about that because I don't trust the tech anyway, even if it's accurate. So, and I'm not saying that the tech's bad and that's why I don't no, trust it. No, and we it. use it sometimes yes. to figure out like easy pace and stuff. So you were doing something that we might recommend. Yes. Yeah, so I don't trust it because that's not the thing that should be telling me my effort. That's, that's what I mean when I say I don't trust those data. So instead, what I'm looking at here is I'm saying, um, okay, so you, you are running a pace that suggests you are very clearly holding yourself back, even that it feels weird. And that, that raises actually a, a kind of red flag for us when you say, I don't really feel normal trying to jog this slow mm. because now we get into what the meaning of a minimal effort jog is which is fundamentally it's the slowest comfortable running effort without entering unnatural running mechanics or feel or gait so that sounds like that was unnatural or felt unnatural which means you were you were probably holding back just a little too much now your heart rate data can can come from a lot of different factors here it doesn't have to be that your actual aerobic effort was making that heart rate data because you were focused so much on trying to hold yourself back you're you may have had an emotional element that was contributing to the heart rate data as well as surely the reality that if you're coming from a situation here where you're just beginning to build things up you don't quite have the leg strength yet um established and in musculoskeletal resilience yet established so your heart rate's going to be a little bit higher just unnaturally higher than it otherwise would be at that degree of effort um because you're body isn't quite as strong yet and then it will get stronger and then your heart rate's going to come down and your heart rate's going to come down for two reasons as you train one because your aerobic cardiovascular capacity is improving and two because your your musculoskeletal system is actually getting stronger and so both of those help bring your heart rate data down so these are these are the important considerations lorenda what it comes down to in my mind is um let that heart rate data be an interesting um be interesting information for you, but uh, don't make that the thing that tells you whether or not you're jogging. Let it be that comfort and how you're feeling as you're trying to do the run. Very good. Next one. This is, I love this. So Kyle, this is from Facebook Kyle was now. trolling us when he asked this question. <laughs> I know it. I know it for sure. Kyle, you were trolling us. So when we were on the live session with Andrew, um, and this time, it uh, if you want to view the recording, it was an interesting conversation. We were talking about uh, training in the final stages as you build up to a race, which is the most dynamic period of time for training. And so we shared some thoughts in general when Andrew and I were discussing, and then we opened it up for questions, and there were some interesting questions. I grabbed a couple of them here to share with you. The first was Kyle's. 
-hmm. again, I'm pretty confident you're trolling us here, Kyle. But um, so he he wrote to us in the chat. He said, uh, well, we were discussing that race day prep stuff um, about race strategy. How do we use pacing charts or pacing calculators? And what role does that play as we're planning our race or recommending to our athletes as planning races? And uh, my answer is no. <laughs> Just no. That's it. That's the whole answer. <laughs> Not really. I mean, yes, that is the whole answer. But um, but go ahead. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because Zach will be like, no, you go in and do by effort, which is true. But you have been training. So there is a like a range that you could expect Just going into free. race day. Just go in and be because free. You, yeah, go in Leave and be your watch free. at home. But you've already become an intuitive runner. <laughs> so you're also intuitive on race day. So be. there is there is kind of an idea that you have or that even Zach, like we've had some athletes that are like, you know, really what is possible? What is possible on a good day? What's possible on an average day? I will it, only begrudgingly answer He that will question. begrudgingly answer those questions. Um, oops, I'm giving our athletes ideas of what to begrudgingly. Don't, don't ask those questions. <laughs> um, but anyway, stop answering them. So, so, yeah, that is the conversation that we're having. It's about having the proper effort, and we have grown that as we have worked into our training we know what it feels like as zach says to just be pushing and pressing on that bubble but never popping the bubble <laughs> if you remember pop. that analogy that that gave us about steady state runs is that what i was doing yeah the, the yeah bubble pop the bubble yeah. all right okay well so yes um kyle i understand though the spirit of the ask because you're suggesting here that as we go into training or through training we have certain amounts of information about how we're doing performance data and these data then are telling us things like i can run this kind of pace at this kind of effort or heart rate zone or something so if if i have a clear way of knowing how close this is to my like actual race effort then i can say okay so for 10 miles i could run this pace so what should i be able to do for a marathon and i throw it into a pace calculator mm, and it spits out magic and rainbows and hits me with a new number that i can now say i'll just run that pace and it will be perfect of course it will um my beef with that approach in general and in specificity here is that first i don't want you doing that i want you just running free in that race and run by how you feel because it's better uh, but also um that's, that's my answer it's better just just trust me. No. Um, so the answer here really, though, is um, that's it's it's a handy tool for learning something that may potentially mm -hmm. be true. In theory, that's at what I kept saying point, as Andrew and I were talking. Right. On, I kept saying in theory. Well, at some <laughs> point, because like so, for instance, I put in my marathon time and that spits out a 5K time that it thinks I potentially could do. I have not even come close to that 5K time based on my marathon time. That's because you're because bad at I need... 5Ks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you, coach. No. Um, but I haven't I have not specifically trained for a 5K. But well, I, that too. So it may show my potential if I was specifically training for a 5K, but that doesn't guarantee it either because I was training for a marathon when I ran that marathon PR. So it's a, it's a grain of salt. It's well, a yeah, but they also get these. They so these pace calculators generate these numbers from one of two 
one of two elements, but, but fundamentally it's one thing. So, and I know this because we've built one ourselves, um, using the same data to try to see, you know, what I can't we- believe you share that out loud. Yeah, of course. Cause <laughs> I, I'm curious and explore everything. So we built a pacing calculator cause we wanted to see, could we build one with our own formulae that could generate the same end results as any of the other pacing calculators out there that are kind of like the most standard issue ones. You've got the V dots and you've got the, you know, all the stuff. So what, what we're fundamentally saying is that um, if there is a percent of maximum and each race distance or each distance in general is um, a percent of that maximum, which would be like your V dot for Jack Daniels folks or your VO2 max or your heart rate reserve max, um, which kind of works the same way as VO2 max, but you could also use max heart rate, but whatever the case may be, these things create some kind of measurable maximum. And if you have a measurable maximum, you can say, okay, there's a certain distance of running that when you run at a hundred percent effort for that distance, it is the maximum. And that by the way, tends to be whatever you can do for about 10 minutes for most people. Once again, I just said most people. So now you already know that there's individual nuance here can change that dramatically, but somewhere around 10 to 15 minutes. Um, if you go all out and you're, you're on the ground, like dying on the ground after 10 to 15 minutes, how far you just ran generates that maximum. So that pace you ran for that time. Um, so now the calculators are going to take that theoretical result and say, okay, if you did this time for a 5k and it was a true effort, not a you know less than 100% effort, but if you did this time for 5K and it was 100% effort, then you should theoretically be able to now do because your capacity should yield all these other mm-hmm. potential results. Now, Andy already said one of the caveats there, which is, but you also have to be prepared for each of those distances. Just because you can run a 15-minute 5K doesn't mean you can run a 220 marathon if you've never prepared for a marathon before. There's just no logical rationale that suggests that that's going to be the case unless you've prepared unless you trained for the marathon that that (laughs) enters into the rest of kind of the the theory behind the calculators which is that um the assumption is if you prepare for events properly then it stands to reason that across the law of averages for like everyone out there is basically going to yield these kinds of tiered results so we can use the science to prove it but then we can also use anecdote to find a pretty consistent pattern and it is true if you just take out take out all the anomalies and just do all these averages, but you are not an average. You're a single human and you have your own single discrepancies from all the other humans out there. And so to suggest that a pace calculator is going to tell you true information about what you can do is crazy on a certain day. In theory, it could possibly, but it's absurd to suggest that that means that I should try to run a marathon at that pace without any other information except that I did a 10 mile run at this. And so my marathon should be this. So that's the, why. And the shoulds get us in trouble. They get us in so much trouble. That's a nice shoulds get us in trouble. They you do should put that quote on like a picture on, isn't that what they do on social media? They call them memes or something. They put words I think on a picture. Just a text post. I'm not really sure. I don't know anything about this stuff. <laughs> well, anyway, so, I don't either. The should's going to get you in lots of trouble, but then there's a th- then there's the second part, which is what I was saying earlier in my tongue-in-cheek way, which is that it's just it's just better not to mess with that kind of stuff. Be the runner who can go out for a run and know what you have within you to give and how much you can give at any moment in time, so that you don't run out before the end. 
and he might not be there that yet. You know, that might sure. might not be there yet. But how are you going to get there? By practicing it. <laughs> by practicing not it. Not just in training. Yeah. Because the race is a different experience in training. Mm-hmm. So if you never race by effort, you're never going to be able to race by effort. So you got to start it's somewhere. It's practiced. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun. It is, in fact, fun. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing that, and I get it, you're going to say to me, but there's so much on the line because this race is so important. It's my attempt to qualify for Boston. It's my one marathon a year and, uh, you know, all the stuff. Um, and I get it. I get it. But it, you got to start at some point. Well, maybe don't start with your most important race. Start doing it at other races leading sure. into it, right? That's kind of what you're saying. No, I'm just saying just start. <laughs> just start. Just start now. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not an easy thing. It's and not. we get that. Um, no. And at the end of the day, not everybody wants that. And that's that's the other thing that if you want to be that runner, that's the place you got to go to get there. But if you don't want to be that runner, you don't have to be. That's yeah. true. I mean, you're going to be worse if you don't. Stop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right. There's Kyle's trolling question. And I gave him <laughs> all the stuff he wanted me to give him. Mm-hmm. Now, Haley also asked a question in the Facebook live session. She asked, what do you do about small nagging pains or injuries during the final weeks of racing season? So, yes, you're you're getting to the last month or six weeks or so, and you've got something that isn't going away, that pain that's not going away, or it might even, you know, you do this workout and it's a little bit worse, a couple of days easy and it starts feeling better, but then you do the next hard effort and it's worse again. So... That's pretty frustrating. Tough. It's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, um, I have two. I have two approaches to these things. Um, we we're constantly talking with our runners about this type of stuff because it's the it's the small things that are nagging like that that ruin everything for us in just the one wrong step. You know, one wrong moment where we just went a little too hard in a workout, or we got halfway into the race and it just that was it. So, the first thing is something that worsens a pain needs to be avoided and it needs to be avoided insofar as I, I'm always progressing. I'm always improving. Um, and so that's where if you're, if you're six weeks out from your big race and hard efforts hurt and leave you two or three days sore that in a specific, like acute soreness that, um, you just can't shake. Keep in mind now you're operating in, a in an acute chronic cycle a chronic acute cycle where it keeps you keep aggravating something if you continue to do that up to race day you are not going to be able to execute full effort without causing yourself harm chances are you're going to hurt yourself in that race um and if you don't hurt yourself a lot you're still probably not going to have your greatest race because you're going to be nursing a problem Mm -hmm. as you're running so the first consideration is we've got to find a way to start progressing positively and If that means taking a little bit extra easy time right now and doing a little bit of extra rehabilitation stuff, and maybe I miss a few harder efforts for a couple of weeks, oh, well, you got to do what it takes to get to a healthy start line as well as you can. And he's giving you the practical matter of it. It's not really, oh, well, it's okay to grieve it, especially if it was like a big deal. (laughs) And it usually is for those of us that are 
runners and we've poured a lot of time and energy. I think there's a couple things that I would like to encourage those of you who are experiencing this. Um, one, it's okay to be sad about it, but then also to look forward from that sadness to, to grieve and then to, to be able to look at what you can salvage from the experience and try to find a really good silver lining from it. And then the other part of that is then to... I had another part. Well, there is definitely another part. <laughs> there was another part to that. Um, well, yes, as, to remember. Oh. Okay, I got it. Um, <laughs> this is the other part. Is to remember that it wasn't wasted, that mm -hmm. you did put a lot of great um, effort in to your training, that you became better because of it. So it's not wasted. It's not completely wasted that time you spent. Yeah. And let's remember, we know why you're concerned about this. Um, all of you listening is because uh, you remember when Todd was on the podcast and he was talking about how, how quickly we lose fitness in terms of uh, VO2 max and aerobic uh, capacity. Um, and the answer is yes, it's true. You lose that pretty quickly. And so if you got to take a week or two off right now, and I'm talking to a couple of you directly now, because a couple of you are dealing with some things and having to take a little bit of time off. Um, yeah, you're going to lose some of that work that you've done, but you're only going to lose some of it and it comes back quickly as well. And so if you can get healthy and you can get back into a good groove, even if it's for only a couple of weeks, you're going to regain most of those losses. Mm -hmm. And so you, this is not something where it's like all hope is lost because I had to take two weeks off four weeks before my marathon. Mm -hmm. um, if you have to do it, you got to do it. There's just nothing else for it. Um, and you can't worry about things like, well, I'm losing my fitness. Because, again, if you can't run healthily, it's no good getting to the start line in that state either. Mm -hmm. And remember, we've had conversations about cross training. You are able to maintain a decent level of fitness by cross training. You can stave off that loss. Yeah. If you're able. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's kind of the one the, the one most important consideration of all of this. But there's more nuance to it also. Certain types of injuries, certain types of nagging problems can be addressed in different ways. You know, if you've got something with the Achilles versus something with the hamstring or something with the hip flexor, all three of those manifest differently with the nature of what you're doing in running. And so you can handle them differently too. Um, and an example would be, goes back to, I was working with my physical therapist uh, a while back and I had this nagging problem. And he's like, well, you can't run anything faster than a jog, but let's jog a lot. <coughs> and so we did, we, we did just that. And it recovered fairly quickly, um, quite well, but I, it meant no hard efforts for like two weeks and just a lot of jogging. But that was because of the specificity of the issue mm -hmm. and it, it could accommodate something like that. So it's not a, it's not a single answer now to a question like that. What it becomes is what's wrong and what can I do or what should I do based on that situation? Mm -hmm. Well, lots of good questions. Yes. We appreciated the live time in the last couple months on the Rivertown Races uh, Coach's Corner sessions, and we're looking forward to doing some more of that kind of stuff in the future. Mm -hmm. that, that's loads of fun. So if you're the types who like to uh, get get real and gritty on the live chat and try to throw questions at us like Kyle's <laughs> and see what we're going to do without any prep to answer, uh, we, we actually thoroughly enjoy it. So mm -hmm. thank you for that time and for those questions. Mm-hmm. Now on to the world of running. To kick things off in the world of running, we have a shout out for A to Z runner and new mom, Madeline. 
Yeah. Yeah. She ran her first 8K after baby. She ran the Shamrock Shuffle. All right. Way to go, Madeline. Steps back into the game. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, let's get let's get things started here with a really interesting book. And there's an article here that we're going to briefly note um, about the book. Uh, Runner's Tribe and the folks over there published a book about the 10 fastest Australian marathoners. And it was just kind of like a really personal look into their experiences and their ideas, uh, which is loads of loads of fun for people like us. So now I got I got to get the book and I got to read that because that would be interesting. But um, that being the case, this article then, and we link to it here in the article on our website uh, for this podcast episode. So they were writing about these 10 marathoners and the question, what was their favorite workout session Mm -hmm. in marathon training and preparation? And what I found interesting is we got 10 different runners and I think they may have try to well i don't know maybe it's maybe it's true that every single one of them answered a very very different answer but it's quite the variety it is quite the variety so 10 different marathoners um and and lots of different answers so i wanted to give you kind of like a sampling of these and just react a little bit to like this in light of marathon preparations and such and these perspectives because it's fascinating to us lee troop um Famous for his marathoning prowess, 209 marathoner and change, uh, among other successful things. Also, coach. a great coach. <laughs> so Lee Troop coaches many successful distance Yeah, Jacob Riley, today, right? Including Jacob Riley. Yeah. Uh, other Olympians as well. So um, his answer to the question was, and this is not surprising if you've read anything about how Lee Troop's athletes train. Uh, he says, all out hills. That's his favorite. Hill repeats. All out hill repeats. Uh, he's got varying like 50 to 500 meters on a hill. Um, and his answer was like all out. And when you're done, you're done. That's You just do as many as you can until you just can't. But you like that. Like you should be well, done. I like the when you're when done, you're, you're done. When your legs are done, stop. Don't try to be, don't try to be a hero. And he's trying to stop me from criticizing. No, I'm troops. just saying like, <laughs> but that's something that we've said before too. When like, you're done, you're done. Yeah. When you're done, when your legs are done, you're done. However, I am shocked. That he has marathoners doing all out hills. Well, he's not saying so inefficient. He's not saying as a as a coach. He's saying as an athlete, this is one of his favorites. So So we don't even know if he implements this with his athletes. But either way, that that to me is fascinating because so my my comment of inefficiency doing really high intensity efforts is super inefficient because the rewards are so low for the cost. This is like a strength workout. It is. It's very much a strength workout. but the generally, when you do all-out hills, the recovery time necessary is quite a bit higher than just a little less effort on like, the hills. And yeah, given, so, given yeah. 80 or a 90. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows? But my point is, is it's just fascinating because it's like, you know, how often were you, were you doing those every other day? Because I, no. I'd be shocked if you were able to. <laughs> no. Uh, once every like three weeks tea. while you're laying in bed for two weeks trying to recover. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I thought that was fun. Okay, Lisa Whiteman had Waitman um, had uh, a four by mile workout. Well, 1600 because they're Australian. But um, so four by 1600 was her favorite, she said, uh, which I find that to be interesting answer also for a marathoner that you don't see very many marathoners doing four by 1600. Well, maybe you do, but um, they don't seem to write about it a lot. So her, her comment was it's a good mix of speed and endurance, um, which lots could be said about what speed 
this was one of the things Lydiard was always saying to people is he's like, that's not speed whenever someone would talk about interval workouts. Um, but in essence, she liked the fact that for marathon prep that she's doing something a little bit more aggressive. Um, and I can totally understand that. I, I would go about it in other ways myself if I'm looking for a more aggressive experience than mile repeats, but um, they are yeah. fun. They are fun. I know that. Okay, so Pat Carroll, his answer was 15 minutes all out. So it's like a time a trial, race effort time trial, right? 15 minutes all out. But then, and this is the part that I'm like, oh man, he he's doing it that way. So he would start it at the same spot every time and see how far he could get. Uh-huh. Try to best himself. So competitive, each time. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is just such a risky thing to do in training. So easy to overdo. But it probably it. was one of those things that made him an animal for like, you know, was it a he? Is Pat Carroll a he? Pat, I believe, is a he. Okay, I don't know Pat Carroll. His times suggest he's a he because okay. no woman has run that fast before. Okay. <laughs> but um, so the point being there is that that's the like, see if I can best myself in my workouts and my 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 um my coach Barry is saying all the time and this is one of the things I agree with the most about his perspective I agree with everything almost that he says but uh, one of the things I agree with the most about what Barry says is he says do not race your training never race your training it is too risky it's highly inefficient you don't gain much physiologically from it and people are constantly getting hurt because of that mm-hmm. so like all right I'll take your word for it, Barry, and definitely align with you there. So high risk. I don't know if there's much reward, but uh, that's Pat Carroll's favorite. He's, he's, he's a gritty one. Benita Willis, then, our last one here on a comment, is uh, aligned with Lisa Whiteman a bit here because she likes 6 by 2 k repeats. Again, on the track, so five laps on the track, short recovery. Um, and basically, when you do something like this, you're talking about like, um, kind of in the vicinity of marathon type pace oh, yeah. is what she was articulating, but you a think little bit so? faster. Yes. Cause then what she would say is she would start around there. I didn't know if it was like threshold and then she would progress. <laughs> Her goal here was a progression. Each one getting a little faster, a little faster. And then she'd end with an all out one. Oh. <laughs> Once again, these, <laughs> these all out. So here's a progression workout, progression intervals essentially, which is not an uncommon thing, um, for any kind of race conditioning when you're in the final stages of training um very very risky early in training like just never do that early in training but when you're getting ready for race stuff there's a lot of use of progression interval type of things and the one thing that's really helpful about the progression and you touched on it one week i believe is that your body's more warmed up yeah so like you're progressing into it for the sake of your body's ability to then do it safely do the higher intensity more safely yes um it's also just it's so easy to overdo it. Yeah, it still is. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the risk on the other end of it. If you're doing it too intensely, then you're going to be overdoing it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that sounds like a fun one, too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend anyone do it, but it uh, sounds fun all the same. Well, we have another record. Another record by a name that we've been record. using in association with records. And so this is one of those things where when you have someone who's like, okay, I'm in a really good groove right now. Things are going well, and they may never be better than this. So I'm going to break all of them. All the records. Yes. Every single one. Camille Heron has done it again. She got the 48-hour record. 48-hour record. On a track. Yeah, so the time <laughs> records, just so everyone, for if, if you haven't necessarily paid too much close attention to the differences in different records, time records have to be run on a track to be official. And so like a literal track, not like a road track. Um, and so she's on the 400-meter oval for 48 
hours. 48 hours, folks. Oh, that's flat. a long time. You can change direction, but flat. Flat. Same thing. With that curve upon curve upon. Yeah. Oh. So how many miles did she run, Zach? 270 and a half miles in 48 <laughs> hours. 270.505 to be exact because they got that precise. Track records are that precise. That is just so much running. She was full of running. She's full of running. For 48 hours straight. I think I saw some photos, and they could be old photos, because sometimes with news, they'll use the older photo. You know, sometimes sure. they do that because that's the photo that they have rights to. But it was rain. It looked like it was raining part of the time. I mean, she's out there for 48 hours. I'm sure she experienced <laughs> snow, rain, sun. <laughs> All the seasons. All the seasons oh, of goodness. the... Yeah, so... Here's how it kind of went down. First, um, she decided to target this record, which was broken already only six weeks ago. Right. And so fresh. Fresh record. Mm -hmm. um, and she did it the way of like, while your energy is still there, go fast. And so she went out her first marathon in 3.30. So a fast marathon. She ran 3.30 for her first marathon and route to 240-some-odd miles more. Wait, do the math. Two, yeah, 240-some-odd miles more. So... Um, that's like, wow, why would you do that? But, but it, it, it in fact is a strategy and it worked out well for her. She settled down a bit after the first hundred K, um, and just kind of stayed even for most of the rest of the race. But, uh, part of this included, she did have a number of 10 to 20 minute power naps in the mix. And so con contributing those power naps to the time when she was running, she overall averaged 1040 per mile to run 270 miles in 48 hours. That's incredible. That's impressive. crazy yeah. for 48 hours of running. Whew. Holy smokes. In fact, to put it in perspective, this is the third best in the world behind two men. Men okay? and women. This is so the she third has the, best. <laughs> she has the women's world record, but she's third overall. Well, of all time. Yes, and and here's why. Because she didn't just break the women's record. She bested the previous record, which, remember, was set only six weeks ago. So we're talking about a record that already is fairly impressive because it you know is recent. Um, she bested that record at 45-hour mark. So she had three more hours to run still further in the record, wow. which is just you know vicious. So her, yes, um, her performance, highly impressive. There are two men who have run further. One of them's run further many, many times. Um, the famous Greek ultra marathoner, Giannis, whatever his name is. Um, and so I don't have it written down here. But uh, all that to be said, um, that's just, that was a legendary, legendary. run. And Camille Heron herself is just yeah, interesting to see if doing the historical work here. Now, speaking of impressive things, we have a few other things to touch on. The 35K walk world record was broken. Huge. This is a huge record here. Kimberly Garcia of Peru, she uh, got the record walking just over seven minutes per mile in the 35K. That's like 2230-ish per 5K, which is just <laughs> as, a, as a walking, walking? event is like, just that's incredible. incredible. Yeah. yeah. If any of you were watching during March Madness, I say this past tense, I guess March Madness is still happening, but see how much I pay attention to things in the world. Um, so Besides running, you love the running uh, yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was this commercial that I had noticed a couple of times with Chris Paul 
uh, the basketball player. He's a basketball player, isn't he? Um, I should not be talking about things that are <laughs> current. People are rolling their eyes at I you know right his now. name is Chris Paul. Just um, of and it was one of those things where it was like, hey, you could try something new. And then they flash him to he was race, race walking. walking. And I was like, yeah, race walking. <laughs> when I saw the commercial. Yeah, the and, but I, I do I wish it. that they had that much uh, that much energy there at the end. We need to do that for our race walkers. Yeah. In local competitions and things. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, we're going to move on to the next piece of information, which is a little different. Um, we're talking about Russia's ban. So the latest. So you're familiar with the fact that Russia has been banned from international competition for like at every, all of Russia. Anyone from who is Russian um, cannot compete as a Russian. Is this all sports or just check and field? I mean, it's it's the world athletics body. So it's athletics, okay. which is track and field. But um, it, I have no doubt included other things too. I just don't sure. pay attention to anything other than yeah. athletics. So anyway, it's, uh, it's been seven years. They've been banned for seven years, missing two Olympic games. And they, so this is a lot, right? Um, and they, they finally world athletics in conjunction with the athletics integrity unit announced the reinstatement of the Russian Federation based on uh, meeting these 35 special conditions that they listed out. And then you can, you can actually see the document and all of the special conditions. So for the next three years, they're like in a probationary period where they must meet these conditions and then their ban uh, might be permanently lifted or reinstated depending on how that goes. However, uh, let's talk about that actually for a second. So 35 conditions and like, it's, it's all the stuff that you would think it would be like monthly reports, uh, biannual visits. Someone's going to come inspections. and they're gonna, inspections, annual audits on short notice. So like surprise audits, right? Um, now, of course, the thing, the thing I have to say about all of that is, so you're saying that you're going to tell them they should be doing good things and then check to make sure they are as if they wouldn't, you know, hide it if they weren't, <laughs> which is what was happening before uh... and why they got banned. So that I see all that and I'm like, Okay, that's that's probably not going to change anything. But yeah, remember, this is my favorite one oh, to create an incentive program for whistleblowers. Hmm. Whistleblower but that would be like whistleblowers program. on maybe perhaps themselves. Well, so that's that's the big question because they're talking about like internally in the Russian Federation, they want to incentivize employees of the the Russian anti-doping agency essentially. Um to be willing to kind of blow the whistle on some shenanigans because that's what's happened. It's not just, I mean, it is sometimes the athletes that were the, the problem, but the Russian Federation itself um, was specifically trying to hide oh, yeah. bad things they were doing. No, they're not just hide it. They were promoting it. Well, yes, but they were trying to like not have people find that out. <laughs> so, so the case may be, but what I'm saying here is that now it's like, so employees internally, they want to incentivize them to blow the whistle on shenanigans that they see. And I'm like, you don't know the the nature of the situation. If someone comes out and blows the whistle on something, that's not going to go well for them. That's, yeah. Well, these we are not hope, the things that. So, we can hope that they're going to get their act together. And yes. the doping ban, it has been lifted, but what's happening well, now, Zach? I did want to mention the other thing that I found really funny, which was oh. <laughs> this is how these things go, right? He's, he's rewinding a little bit. Oh, yes. Within the 35 special conditions, Andy's favorite is the uh, whistleblower incentives. My favorite is. They're requiring the hiring of a new ethics director hmm. within the organization who has to be approved by the Athletics Integrity Unit, which is global. That's outside of Russia. Um, and that person must hold annual 
ethics trainings for all the employees. Oh, it makes me think of the office. Of the Athletics Federation. <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought, too. I was like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this in a lot of shows before. They're always comedies, oh, though, and I'm goodness. not I'm not so oh. sure. So I'm just really interested. I hope they record. You know, you fly on the wall? I hope they record these ethics sessions, and you could, like, watch a live okay. stream of them. I'd be very, very curious. All right, so that's it. All right, that, that that's all the stuff. They've got 35 of them. It's crazy stuff, and if, if Russia could somehow even – manage all but of those they, things haven't they and that's why they're getting their doping ban lifted or is this is moving forward like this is so that they can participate forward okay. now and yes but there's a reason that they can't participate beyond this well right so now everyone's kind of looking at this saying it's kind of a joke though that they lifted the ban because they didn't actually lift the ban because russia's still banned they're just banned for a different reason currently mm -hmm. which is the war in Ukraine. And so mm. Russia is That's not sad. actually unbanned. It's so sad for <laughs> they're the just, athletes. Their doping ban is yeah, gone. I know. But, but think about, I just, I get sad because I think yes. about the athletes who are clean, that have been working hard. Well, and they have been allowed to compete. They have. They just can't still... compete as Russian. They yeah. compete as, as an unaffiliated yeah. individual athlete. Yeah. It's still, it's just, yeah, it's a sad thing. It but is. it's necessary to keep our sport clean. So. Well, and, and yes, and you have to come down to a point of like, if a nation state in the world is not behaving fairly in the world competitive scene or you know we can talk about like international conflict scene as well because that's a piece of the puzzle here um then there must be consequences or or you know as as this governing body or what are they what are they saying mm -hmm. to the rest of the world you can yep. you can do all the shenanigans and eh, well I, for the sake of your athletes we'll just let let it slide well, let's go to some super positive notes to end you with. Just a couple shout outs. Nate Martin, a previous podcast guest and fellow Michigander, ran a PR in the half marathon to win the trials of Miles Half in a time of 102.41, which nice. is smoking fast. Nate, you just never stop getting faster. It's so good. I've been loving Keep following it him. It's been fun. Yeah. And then Andrea Pomeranski won her first U.S. title in the 50K championships. So I believe that means that she has an automatic placement, perhaps, uh, on the world's team for 50K. I'm not really sure about that, but I, I think so. I don't know so. how the ultra international competitions work. I think she'll be invited. But uh, second to her was previous podcast guest Brittany Charbonneau. So, ah. yeah. So two podcasts, previous podcast guests that we've been rooting on uh, have been seeing su success. So it's it's good to see. It's good to see. And speaking of things that are good to see and success that's good to see, we are so grateful for the time here talking with you and hope that when you have thoughts and questions and comments that you're interacting with us in all the places. But eventually you may find that these things are not quite enough to meet the needs you have for your running endeavors. And so if there's something more that you desire of all of your pursuits here. Uh, we certainly have other services, including uh, our coaching services and the variable ways to interact with that. And you can find all of that information at adazrunning.com slash coaching. Mm -hmm. Well, we've loved having you with us. Thanks so much for joining and we'll talk to you next week.